Welcome back, welcome back. This week we have another very special guest, a competitive mogul skier for six years. And this person also competed on the baseball diamond, where they are a four-year varsity player for Brimwood School out of Los Angeles. After their athletic career, they worked on multiple game day broadcasts and production crews for multiple hockey teams, served as a writer and sports section editor for the Skidmore News, and this year, they founded their very own sports media company. The person I'm speaking about, of course, is the man with the plan, Spencer Klein, a great friend of mine, and we had a very indulgent conversation. We talked about the ins and outs of competitive skiing, the relationship between mental health and your sport, the experience of being a fan of Major League Baseball, and of course, the music. It was really a fun conversation. I felt like we could have continued to talk for forever. So I'm excited for you guys to hear it and enjoy listening. Thanks. So welcome, welcome back. We have our guest Spencer Klein here today with me, a dear friend of mine. And once again, we're just gonna get straight into it. So Spencer, it. being a competitive skier, can you tell us a little bit about the process of becoming a competitive skier, especially at a young age? Yeah, well, I mean, it's a, uh, it's kind of I don't know how to put it. It's kind of an. Uh, somewhat of an exclusive sport you kind of either have to grow up near a mountain or you have to have you know the money to to be able to go afford to do something as cool as skiing but you know in order to become a professional you really kind of just dedicate you know like like any sport you have to dedicate just a ton of time a ton of energy to just this one you know one thing um especially growing up in LA where you know we don't really have snow it was uh it just meant giving up a lot of uh, a lot of time with friends a lot of time with family a lot of time with people and flying up to to train to compete you know spending summers jumping into pools trying to do these tricks um and just learning and especially at a young age you have to start because if you don't start young you're going to be behind the eight ball anyways so you know you got to kind of grow up in the right area or you have to grow up kind of with the ability to get to the right area um and uh you know start young figure out what you want to do. And then from there, just kind of just fully send it. It's a, uh, it's one of those things that, you know, if you have the means to do it, anyone can do. Um, and it's a super welcoming community and, uh, but it's also super competitive. So there is that part of it. Yeah. I think, like you said, it's difficult to be a competitive skier just because of location. You know what I mean? I don't even think I would have thought about skiing at all. You know, growing up in LA, it wouldn't even cross my mind. Like you said, we don't have any mountains that close <laughs> that you could right. just, yeah. Yeah. you know, after school, mom take me to the ski hill, you know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so how do you figure out what events are best for you and what was practice like? 
Um, well, I, I should also add in that like there, there are definitely sorry Brentwood, but there were definitely days where uh, I would uh, I would ditch class, go uh, and go ski at Mountain High, or, you know, about forty five minutes outside of L A. So I think Brentwood will be those, okay uh, without you as five for a day or two. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I had that I had that system in place to to let them know that I was sick or studying for my SATs um, for a day. Whoops. Um, yeah, how do I how do I find out what event was right for you? I mean, so you know, as a as a competitor, you really have two you kind of have two options. You can either go the more traditional like alpine skiing route, which is more like the Lindsey Vaughn, Bodie Miller, like the the racing route, um, or if you're like me, you got you know you don't like wearing spandex or you don't really want to go fast and kind of kill yourself, so you choose to go the more expressive route towards freestyle, and it's like that's your you know, your Simon Dumont's, your Sean White's, the half pipe skiing, all that. Um, but for me, uh, I, you know, I fell into competitive mogul skiing just through uh, skiing with a, a guide and who, you know, you know, who was a competitor, who was a U.S. champion um, and just learning, you know, the technical aspects of it, of that discipline uh, and realizing that my knees would never be the same ever again. But uh, as far as practices, dude, I mean, during you know during the summers we're here we're up here in utah um we're jumping off of ramps in like these you know literal ramps uh, at the utah olympic park into into a pool trying to trying to learn tricks trying not to land on your head and learning um you know just trying to get better but during the winters get up uh you get to the mountain before it opens you get there at like i don't know 8 30 uh you're straight up straight up the mountain straight to where you got to go and you're there till four and for us, you know, competitive skiing moguls, you know, we also not only are we training, but we're also, you know, helping take care of the course. So that requires, you know, taking a a blade basically and chopping everything bottom to top to make sure everything is like level, make sure everything is, you know, very precisely tuned to get um to get the best out of it. But it's, you know, all day, uh, very little breaks. But at the same time, like it was such a small community that everyone knows everyone and you know you're all like super close friends and you know it makes it fun so you can go cut up with your boys you can go drink um you know go have a beer go have a run whatever but you know it's it's brutal and you go all season long from november until april and then you know start coming in june you get back on the water and it's a, uh, it's it can be brutal and dry land training oof, yeah you know, the amount of running and stuff you got to do, the amount of, you know, trampoline sessions you got to do, you know, doing gymnastics to learn, you know, to be more flexible and to learn how to flip in the air. Like, it was crazy. I never, there's things that I did I, I haven't done since, I uh, don't want to do. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was fun. I really enjoyed it, but it was brutal. I love how the grind wasn't the red line for you the stop sign was uh spandex so if you <laughs> yeah it's a yeah. fly not afraid of the grind never runs for the grind but uh try to get mm -hmm. him to be frozone for halloween nope. is the where he draws the line <laughs> well yeah you saw that power rangers costume last year Oof. <laughs> yeah yes, yeah you know uh, yeah you no, know man <laughs> so obviously you did competitive skiing and then of course you play baseball what's the biggest yep. difference between playing an individual sport and a team sport as a person who's mostly been a team sport guy my whole entire yep. life i can't even think of a time i really played an individual sport uh yeah. what's the difference see yeah uh this is actually i really love this question when you when you sent this to me 
um, there's a there's two ways to kind of put it. So the first way is like when I talk about skiing, especially on you know on a on a freestyle team, it's like a I call it a team individual sport. So you're competing on your own. You train, but like you train with your team. You you know you're you're really good friends with your team. Everyone roots each other. Everyone roots for each other, um, and it's you know got that team camaraderie. But like your your results and your uh you know your mental stability and all that just is solely wholly dependent on yourself um so but like you have that community around you like you would on a basketball team to pick you up and be like yo you know keep going keep shooting all that and for us you know playing both team and individual sports and the biggest difference is you know not everything falls on you necessarily um baseball is a bit different because you know it's you know, the unique aspects of baseball being that it's a series of one-on-one matchups. Um, you know, one person is pitching to another person. Um, so in that case, it's somewhat of an individual sport at times. But, you know, you have your teammates. You have the strategy of a team sport. Um, you know, you can call plays. You can, you know, in baseball, you have, you know, steal signs and, you know, take signs and all that. And there's, you know, game within a game. But, um, you know, you win and lose with your team, not necessarily with yourself. Whereas in an individual sport, it's all on you um, and it has its perks and it has its drawbacks, but it's all, you know, it's all on you. Your teammates will be there. Your coaches will be there. Um, but then dead, if, you know, if you're not doing well, it's, it's on you um, and you got to fix that. Yeah. I always wondered that about track um, been around yeah. some track athletes and it's a team sport, but at the same time, it's individual. Uh, how hard is it, you know, when you're not doing well in this kind of individual team environment uh, to really be there and like support your teammates? Uh, how easy is it to support your teammates? Oh, it's, it's, a, it's super easy. You, um, I mean, for, for some, for me, you know, I want, I want to see my teammates, you know, and my friends do well, even now, like I can watch, I turn on the Winter Olympics and, you know, I will see most of the people that are competing in the freestyle events, like half pipe, slope style, moguls, aerials, whatever, are kids and people that I grew up with and people that I know. And it's awesome. You get to cheer them on. You get to, you know, ride the highs with them, and, you know, and suffer through the lows. And it it's really cool to, to see everyone succeed. But at the same time, like, you obviously want to succeed as well. So it could be, it could be easy to, to, you know, to cheer everyone on and to – to be there for everyone, but at the same time, like always in the back of your mind is, all right, I'm so stoked that they're doing well, but I have to beat them. Like that's uh, that's my goal is to is to do better. You know, great that they're doing well, but if I ain't doing better, then shoot, what am I doing? Right. Yeah, I think it's it's kind of tough for me to live in that gray area. You know, as a yeah. team guy, it's like we win as a team, we lose as a team. So I've had games where I've had forty, and <laughs> we've right. lost. And I, I'm sick, yeah. you know what I mean? I can't, yeah. I don't want to eat. I don't want to talk to anybody. I've had games where, yeah. you know, I've scored two points and we win. And it's like, you know, yeah. great. We won, you know, like I understand, like, all right, I got to get better so I can be better next game because it's not going to be every time that uh, sometimes you got to pick up your teammates and sometimes they got to pick you up, you know. Right. So, Living in that gray area is really, you know, interesting to me for the skiers and the track athletes that are out there. And it's yeah. like you're really competing with your team, but you're also competing with yourself. And then you're competing yeah. with everybody else who's not on your team. So you're just 
an all around competition. And when you're not successful or as successful as you thought you were going to be, uh, I just, you know, for me personally, it, I don't know how I would react is just what I'm saying. And I really commend all of you guys for always being, I always hear that people are usually typically so great and thrive in those situations where it's like, yeah, I didn't race well today, but then, you know, their friend comes up and they're on the rails, yelling, screaming, banging, doing what they can to like cheer that person on and make sure that they do their best. So uh, I definitely commend all of you individual team sport members. It's not easy. It's not easy at all. You want, it's, I don't know how to put it, but like, you want everyone to do so well, but in the back of your mind, you kind of want them to not do super well so you can beat them. And it's a really <laughs> strange, uh, it's really weird. I don't really know how to explain it. You want them to, you want them to succeed. You want to see the people win. You want to see everyone, you know, crush it and do their best. But at the same time, you're like, if I, you know, if I, if they have their best run, I don't know if I could beat them. But then in the back of your mind, you're going, I have to beat them. I know I can. Uh, it's a really, it's a really weird, it's a really weird, weird world. And, you know, baseball and team sports are, you know, kind of similar. You have, you want everyone to do well. You want your teammates to, to kick, to kick everyone's butt. And, but at the same time, you got to perform on your own too. Like for you, you know, you could drop 40, you'd be stoked on your own performance. But then, you know, if your teammates let you down, like you said, you're sick. Uh, but you, at least, you know, you did well and in a world like basketball where, you know, you you want to play at the next level that also helps yeah it helps but uh in basketball man especially you know if we're going to talk about getting recruited or just moving on to the next level or whatever that next level is man winning speaks volumes winning puts you in a in a you know in a in a different bracket than other people uh people want to be around winners and that's really True. the the goal of the team sport, and uh, that really was my only personal goals in everything that I, you know, every level that I competed at was just I wanted to win. It really didn't matter, right? Um, how we got it done? When it feels good. Winning does feel good, man. You know, I love yeah. to win, and I wanted to talk about too that I think now that I'm thinking about it, as you're talking about being on a skiing team, uh, I just you love that. I just always been a competitor and I love that like healthy competition. Like, okay. Uh, I could probably run fast, but I run a lot faster when I got somebody who I know might be a little bit better than me or a little bit faster than me. And I'm going to run that extra, you know, go that extra mile. It's just like, Hey, all right, we play in a team that, you know, may or may not be, uh, have more talent than me. I'm just going to go a little bit harder. I'm going to dive on the floor and try to get that ball versus, right. you know, um, you know, obviously you would hope that people don't play up to their opponents or play down to their opponents, but uh, it's just human nature to be a competitor and see somebody who's like at your level or slightly above it and be like, I got to prove myself right here and do that extra to make sure that I know that they're, you know, they're better. So yeah, I would love to be, now that I'm thinking about it, I would love to be on a, on a good team with a lot of high competitors on it. Cause even, you know, in high school practicing against the guys that I practiced against, you know, we had a lot of division one and high D three players on our team. And, um, 
just competing against those guys every day definitely made me better. So uh, now that you say it, like, yeah, that's that's a good thing to think about. So, you know, now we're going to segue a little bit to I want to know what's a lesson that you learned from skiing and a lesson that you learned from baseball that taught you about life that helps you out in your everyday life now. Ooh, 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 um, and I think about that one. All right. So from skiing, uh, I remember when I was, when I was a kid, I want to say I was like eight, no, maybe it was nine or 10. Um, you know, like the, the head coach of our team told us like, you know, the goal of the goal of our training at that point was to make sure that we were comfortable on any terrain on any part of the mountain ever. Um, and I think it was it was super helpful because now you know I can go I can go conquer literally anything and so the lesson that I take away is if you work your butt off then um, you know and, and make sure you're comfortable around any sort of you know any sort of terrain any sort of situation then you know once you're practiced at it you can you'll be able to succeed and you know when you when you really put your mind to something and kind of understand what goes on you know, at the most basic and the most advanced levels of any situation, you can, you know, you can find comfort in there and you can, you can thrive. Um, and just being able to, you know, being comfortable, being uncomfortable, if that makes any sense. Um, like putting yourself in situations that you know are going to be uncomfortable and knowing that you have the tools, the ideas and the uh, the knowledge to to make to make yourself comfortable in that situation and to figure it out, um, to figure out any unknowns that may lie. And you know, from the baseball perspective, uh, yeah, I mean, I can fully admit that I was you know not a D one baseball player, not by any stretch of the imagination. But you know, from that, it was you know just because you're not the best at something, doesn't mean you can't contribute to you know to something in a positive way. Um, you know, on that team, you know, you might not be in, you know, in the starting lineup every day, but you can contribute, you know, positively by, you know, picking your teammates up or, you know, helping out, keeping score or whatever it may be, something that's, you know, very crucial to a situation that, you know, might not be the most headline grabbing, um, what's the word, you know, you're not going to get the most attention. No one's recruiting a, a scorekeeper, but, you know, Maybe you're paying attention. I guess you know we have the whole Michigan sign stealing thing right now. But you know maybe you're t- maybe you're paying attention to the other team and their you know their base coach is giving signs and maybe you're trying to decode the signs. Um, that's super crucial for a baseball team because if you can kind of understand what the play is going to be um, without using technology, obviously, you know, if you can just sit there and kind of pay attention, that's huge. Um, you know you might not be able to throw 95 miles an hour, but if you can you know if you have a good memory, you could decode the signs. That's super crucial. So, you know, just from the, I guess to sum it up, uh, what I learned from baseball is just because, you know, you're not the greatest in something doesn't mean you can't contribute positively. Yeah, that's definitely a great way to look at your experience. Um, I definitely had some times where my role on the court wasn't necessarily where I wanted to be at. And I had to try to contribute to something great and put, my pride and feelings aside and help the team and 
last week or a couple weeks ago, I talked to Nigel and he was definitely a product, a little bit of me accepting both of the things that you were saying, being comfortable, being uncomfortable and just not necessarily being where you want to be athletically, but not being able to contribute to something that helps in the in the grander scheme of things. And uh, I think those are two great lessons that you definitely, that you learn. Um, And they'll continue to be great lessons that you live on with for life. Being comfortable, being uncomfortable is like, I think it's like the main cliche (laughs) of uh, sports. Uh, But it definitely, there's no question that you, you get comfortable with that because life's uncomfortable. You know, Uh, what's uncomfortable is, the mom who, you know, has kids and is trying to figure out how she's going to, you know, feed them and give them the best uh, while, you know, struggling with her own issues. The uncomfortable is uh, not knowing where your next meal is going to come from. Uncomfortable is not knowing where you're going to rest your head at night. Those are the people that really have to deal with uncomfort. And sometimes, sports toughens you up in ways where yeah maybe you don't have to deal with those things but you learn those same lessons or similar lessons because you know obviously those lessons are way harder to learn in in real life than it is to learn on the court on the slopes you know on the team on the baseball field whatever uh but sports can definitely help you kind of figure those things out through life and just being able to contribute to a team when you're not able to really contribute in the ways that are always seen and praised and noticed is just a a fact of life. We're not all going to be, uh, the president of the United States. We're not going to all be uh, the best player on the team or everybody's not going to be the most famous person in the room or the, the one with the most energy, but those guys that do the, the glue, you know, we talked about Igudala last week. Perfect. example, And he's a perfect example of that at the end of his career. He was just a guy who was willing to sacrifice, like, okay, yeah, I'm not going to get paid to play, but I have an opportunity to help these young guys get better and help this team win the championship with my voice and who I am every single day. And that's just a lesson of, of life that you might, candidly, you might not be the most important person in the room, you know? Yeah, sometimes you don't want to be either. Yeah, that's true, too. And that may not be the role that you always play. And some days you are, and in certain situations you will be. You might be the most important person in the room when it comes to your family. But when it comes to your job, you may may not be yet. And maybe you'll never be. But that doesn't mean that you're not a great contributing person to society and helping us move forward. You can always do that no matter what no matter what hand you're dealt, 
what situation you're in, the way the cards are stacked against you, you can always be a contributing member to society. And I definitely agree that sports taught me that lesson. Um, And I would employ other people to look at it that way if they're in similar situations like yourself in high school where it's like, yeah, I want to be a baseball player, but, you know, just not not there right now. I'm not good enough right now. Um, and but also, like, you know, there's, you know, there's that, you know, that saying, like, oh, I don't know. It's from some, it's from some song. It's like, a house won't fall if the bones are good. Like, you know, you need those glue people. You need the people who are willing to be selfless and to be, you know, to accept the fact that they're not going to be the alpha. They're not going to be the, the number one. They're not going to, they're not going to steal the headlines. But without them, you know, none of this is possible. Uh, you know, even people, I mean, shoot, even, you know, the bottom, the bottom of the totem pole is super important, super important. You know, nothing gets done without the people who are working their butts off to make everything possible. Everything from like grocery baggers, you know, outside of the sports world, like like people who bag your groceries to, you know, just the people who turn the lights on. Um, and everybody who's, you know, at that bottom, you know, super, super, super important because without them, you know, what we do, what the, you know, what the rest of people do wouldn't be possible. It wouldn't be easy. Yeah, it's like, you know, I know you're a huge college football fan, and we'll talk a little bit about college football later. It's like being the long snapper or the center. Yeah. Those those positions rarely get love. Yeah. Obviously, Jason Kelsey's getting a whole lot of love right now. Well, but yeah. that's probably the only center that most 90% yeah. of the population know, and uh, they don't get a lot probably, of love. Yeah. but. They do a lot of the grunt work and a lot of the dirty work, and they're very essential to a team. And without them, there there is no Super Bowl for any team. Uh, so, yeah, that definitely great lessons that you've learned. Uh, and, you know, sometimes the lessons that you learn aren't always pretty. So I want to talk right. a little bit about was there ever a time – where your sport may have negatively impacted you uh, mentally and um, maybe, or maybe even a time where you were struggling in your personal life and sports helped you get through those struggles. Yeah. And uh, I will, let me, I'll answer that in a second, but you mentioned Jason Kelsey and it it brought me back. There was a, when I was younger, I forget what year this was. um, But I remember you know, you all obviously you know my dad is a big Stanford football fan, so we you know grew up grew up rooting for Stanford. And there was a there was a guy he was an offensive lineman. I think he might have been a center named Connor McFadden. I'll never forget this. Who he was? You know, he didn't play very much, but his job he had like his photographic memory. His job was to stand on the sideline with a whiteboard, and he would draw up all the formations that the defense was running against their offense, and report that back to the coaches, which you know is huge. You have a guy who can, you know, figure out exactly what plays these guys are running uh, without, like I said, without using technology, just a whiteboard in his memory. It's crazy, you know, and without him, they might not, they might not have been as successful as they were. But, you know, having somebody who's willing to, to step aside and say, hey, you know, my best talent might not be on this football field. Um, let me, you know, act in this selfless manner to, uh, to, you know, make the team better, even if it, you know, even if it hurts myself, even if, you know, it's kind of like cut your nose to spite your face thing. Like, you know, it might not help him, but it helps the team. And I think that's a super important lesson for a team. 
No question. No question. Very important lesson. But uh, yeah, as far as uh, sports and mental health, I mean, dude, uh, geez, especially as an individual sports athlete, it's uh, it is brutal. Um, because you know, like outside of skiing, I also you know I grew up skiing, I grew up playing golf, like you know baseball as a little little kid, basketball, but then you know, but then everyone outgrew me, and I wasn't very good at it anyways. Uh, but you know, individual sports, like golf, skiing. It's it's hard to explain how that affects you mentally. It is brutal, but also liberating at the same time. Because when you're not like when you're not performing, and you see like your name at the bottom of the uh, at the bottom of the leaderboard, you see your name at you know the bottom of you know at the standings. You know that you expect better of yourself and you need to do better and so that weighs on you it weighs heavily on you it weighs heavily you know off the sports field as well um you know when you when you have expectations it really it really messes with your brain and so you know it's uh in team sports too when i was playing baseball and couldn't hit a ball to save my life for a little bit it messed with my head you know i started second guessing myself started second guessing my abilities second guess everything um but at the end of the day, like you I do, you do, do these things because you love them, and you know that if you put in the time, you put in the effort, you put in the work, it's gonna come back to you, and it's gonna, it's going to, really, uh, pay off in the end. And you know, nobody is perfect. Shoot in baseball, the you know the best hitters of all time, you know, get out six out of ten times. If you get on base four out of ten times, you're a legend. Uh, and so you're still failing over fifty percent of the time. So it's it's a grind. But in terms of, you know, a time where, you know, struggles my personal life helped me, you know, sports helped me get through those all the time. Um, even now, there's, a, you know, my, my little escape, my, my mental, yeah, I would say like my mental paradise is, you know, strapping on my boots, going, taking out my skis and going skiing for, for a morning or an afternoon by myself or with people and just letting loose. I mean, you know, there've been, there've been a lot of personal, personal struggles over the years that, you know, I'll, I'll just go pick up my skis, go to the mountain. And then, especially if it's just snow the night before and just let loose, um, and just have it, have a good time. I will, you know, you will never catch me as a, more of a child than when, like a fresh snow day. No chance. I'll be hooting and hollering until the day's end. Um, but I mean, in a team sport environment, I remember, you know, we were sophomores in high school. Um, yeah, we were sophomores in high school. My grandmother passed away on Halloween. Um, and you know, that was, that was brutal. That was a really hard time for me. Um, and you know, having that, that built in team, you know, as a baseball team, having that built in support system, you know, while also having a built in distraction was really helpful. Um, you know, having teammates to, to pick you up, having, you know, something to do that wasn't just sitting in and wallowing or sitting and, um, and like festering in these feelings and the sadness. Like you, I had something to go do. Um, I had, you know, fall ball. I had, you know, I had a coach who's going to ride, who's going to get on my back. I had teammates that were going to pick me up and it was, uh, it was really, really helpful. So, you know, it's, it's both, um, something that's really wonderful and also something that, you know, will mess with your head entirely. Yeah, I think, 
there is definitely duality in it. And I can agree. I've had my fair share of both where sports, basketball specifically, um, challenged me. And I, you know, definitely didn't put me in the right headspace. But then there were times where, you know, loss, like you were speaking of, or even stuff as simple as a, you know, high school breakup. Uh, just being able to lace them up and yep. get in there and shoot and probably take my anger out on the rim <laughs> too yeah. many times. Um, just to have that outlet, um, especially uh, for a person like me back then, not being very expressive or able to really talk through my feelings or feeling like a way like, in a way I felt trapped in my own mind sometimes. So basketball definitely helped out in those situations. But you talked about even now uh, your skiing. What are some of the other sports that you're still playing now and to kind of scratch that competitive itch that all athletes have? Yeah. Um, well, I would say the reason I was a couple minutes late coming here is that I was I was on my way back from the golf course. Um, I was at the driving range earlier today, so golfing a little bit, uh, getting back into it. I haven't done it for a while, but you know, getting back into golf, you know, still skiing, you know, less so competitively, uh, but more so just for fun and still challenging myself to try new things, go new places, um, get as many days in as I can, and also uh, unashamedly, uh, my my one of my good friends and I joined a kickball league last year. So we play kickball every week. Uh, because I don't know, it's, it was a, it was a game that you know, I figured nobody, nobody played D1 kickball. So no one's like a professional athlete out here trying to relive the glory days. Like, you know, if they're playing flag football, it's just, it's something fun to do once a week. It's, you know, it's, it is competitive. Uh, maybe sometimes a little bit too competitive, but yeah. Other than that, like, you know, once in a while I'll get on the video games, geez, talking about a glue guy, um, you know, I'll hop on the, hop on the PS5. Um, uh, you know, just anything sports wise, honestly, anything I can get my hands on, but also, you know, professionally and personally, like, you know, scratch that competitive itch by just, by just trying to do better every day and trying to, you know, you know, go work out, try to lift more, try to, try to, you know, set a PR somewhere else, trying to just creating competition everywhere. Cause I have to, I just, it's just who I am. Hey man, don't hate on the D one guys. We now all try to live our relive our glory days. All right, some of us no, like no, to no. just go out there and have fun. Yeah. When I lace them up, now is going out. Is I swing the rock and make sure everybody gets their right. shots and right. I'm laughing and joking with the ref and the other team. Right, and, you know. Yeah, only but only also every forty. Only every once in a while when somebody disrespects me, I have to remind them that I, I I do this. I used to do this at least for a living. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, exactly. only every once in a while, for sure. All right. Well, you know, I brought you on here. Huge baseball guy. Huge baseball fan. Oh God. Oh I have God. to ask you, because I know that you've traveled around a little bit. What MLB stadium has the best all-around fan experience that you have been to? Now, to be fair to all the MLB teams, before you get upset at Spencer, he hasn't been to them all yet. No, but almost, almost all of them. 
He's getting there. So, shoot, Ooh. which one is it? Dang. So, I have to lead off by saying that a lot of, I, a lot of the stadiums I went to as a kid, uh, I was there as a kid, so I wasn't thinking a lot about the the overall atmosphere. Uh, I mean, I'm gonna, I have to be biased and say Dodger Stadium's got to be up there. Love my, love, you know, as a as a season ticket holder, uh, I can't can't uh, speak badly about the Dodgers and the and the fan experience. It's not perfect, but it's not bad. Um, dang, best overall fan experience, huh? I might have to say the Braves. I, the Braves were the first team I ever, uh, the first stadium I went to. Uh, I mean, I went to Turner Field as a little kid, but that's long gone. Um, but going to Truist or now it's SunTrust now Truist Park, uh, and seeing what they built in the Battery, where they have like the neighborhood surrounding the stadium, and you know it's not a tailgate atmosphere, but they have tons of bars where people can pregame and, and have a good time surrounding the stadium. Uh, I really enjoyed it. It was really cool. The stadium was like one of those like modern ones where you can walk all around in a circle. Um, so it feels more intimate. The food was good. It's cheap. That's my new like campaign right now. It's like fan friendly concessions. Cause at the end of the day, if the, if the prices are fan friendly, then people are going to spend more. Also doesn't hurt having a Chick-fil-A in the stadium or three. Um, Not on Sunday. But... <laughs> nah, well, you do know that uh, at Mercedes Benz, there's a there's a, a place that sells chicken sandwiches next to Chick-fil-A that tastes just like Chick-fil-A, but they're not Chick-fil-A. Yeah, not Chick-fil-A on Sundays, it's quote not, unquote. Right. <laughs> right. But yeah, I th- I want to say the Braves, man. It was I really enjoyed I went to two games there. I saw one on the fourth of July and I saw one uh late in the season when the Dodgers came to town. I was living in Atlanta. But yeah, I mean it was it was great. I really enjoyed that. Um I love the idea of having that like you know, the area surrounding a stadium, kind of like Fenway does too, but more of like a, I, I don't know. It feels like you're almost not, no, you're not in an oasis, but you're in, you're like at a destination, if that makes sense. Yeah. I am not going to comment on this subject just because I have not been to nearly enough stadiums to, to be in the, in this topic, but uh Baseball stadiums are fun. Baseball games oh, yeah. are are fun. Uh, there's a lot of beautiful ones out there. I oh, really, yeah. really, really want to get to PNC. I want to see what Dude. the Pirates Park is looking like. Dude, uh, with the bridge that place right behind. Is awesome. Yeah, I I, I really want to get out there and see what that's like. Uh, I've seen all I've seen all of them on TV, <laughs> but uh, as far as being a fan. Yeah. I, you know, I can't, I can't speak too, too much on it. But another yeah. thing that uh, fans were complaining about, at least this year, or at least talking about, was pitch clock in the MLB yep. playoff format. So, can you explain a little bit about what the MLB playoff format that people are complaining about, and your thoughts on the format? And also your oh. thoughts on pitch clock. Oof, oof, oof. Where do I start on this one? Um, the playoff format, how do I say this without uh, being super biased here? But the playoff format to me is 
flawed in, in a in a, a very key way. Uh, you know, you if you win your if you, you know if you're the, one of the two best teams in the in the league in the National American League, you're given you know a first round bye essentially, which means that after playing 162 games in 180 days, uh, you are now given a week straight off basically. And for the wild card games to be played, you know these these best of three series that you know, truth be told, this year were not good, and they weren't good last year either. For the most part, they are like this year they were all sweeps, two zero sweeps. Um, it it wasn't exciting. So you know the best teams after, you know, as as you know, playing basketball, you get in your routine, you have your game day routines. You know, you know, you know, Monday you have a game, Wednesday you have a game. So Tuesday's a rest day. You know, Wednesday you're, you're you know you're lifting, then you're playing a game. Now these guys are, you know, given a week off, um, which in baseball is huge. It messes with your rotation. It messes with your routines. Baseball, unsurprisingly, is a super is a very superstitious sport. So, you know, those routines are are crucial. And you kind of saw that this year with the Braves holding simulated games in their in their stadium before uh, before their you know first playoff series because they didn't want their guys to go to get a. Uh, to get you know out of sync with their with their normal routines and so that to me is a huge huge flaw is that you know it really decentivizes people uh teams to 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 be the best you know you want you almost want to be in these wild card series because then you're still playing baseball um otherwise you know you get a week off you know you might get lazy. You might have that extra cheeseburger. You might just do something because you're not playing the next day, and it, you know, mess with your head. Uh, so that's, I think, the biggest fan complaint right now. You're not really getting the best teams uh, in the World Series, at least you know, this, at least this year. You know, you got the Rangers, the Diamondbacks. You know, neither team won their division. Both of them had to go to these wild card games, so it was a. Uh, you know, you 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 get kind of a diminished product. Um, but yeah, and then in terms of the pitch clock, look, the only time you really notice the pitch clock if you're at it if you're at a game is the minute you go up to get a concession in the middle of the inning. That's it. You get up, you like go get a beer, go get some, go get a hot dog, whatever, and you realize how much of the game you've actually missed. But other than that, you really don't see it really affect the game that much anymore. I think uh, I looked about halfway through the season, and it was like. Uh, each team was averaging a, a one violation for every three games, so people were really getting the hang of it. Um, it just speeds the game up a little bit. It makes it um, makes it more watchable to some extent. I was a bit concerned of how the playoffs would play out with the pitch clock. Now I didn't really watch much playoff baseball, but yeah, I think uh, you want the drama of the of the the late innings in a world series, you want that drama, but at the same time, you don't want it to take five hours because then people stop watching. Yeah. I think pitch clock from a fan experience has been a blessing. I do disagree though, where I think it's definitely had some impact on the players because some of these dudes definitely are not, you know, they're just not built to play baseball that fast. Let's just be honest. Uh, and some of, for some of True. them, it's a tactic, you know what I mean? To throw off the batters, you know, spe- specifically speaking for pitchers, to throw off yeah. batters, to mess with their mind during an at bat, to, you know, sometimes you get 
they get behind the count as a pitcher and they just need to kind of slow it down, you know, and get their mind, their mind right. And you really don't have that time to do so. So I think it really affects guys from that standpoint. And let's be honest, they're professional athletes. A lot of them are going to adapt. Every sport changes. Football is changing. Basketball change. Uh, you know, you can't hand check people. Football, you can't True. hit people in certain places anymore that you used to be able to hit people. Every game, every game at the top level is changing. So, you know, right. baseball True. has been one of those sports that's really been mostly consistent uh, throughout the modern era, at least. And right. uh, this is just one of those changes that they, I guess, they'll have to adapt to. But, you know, I definitely feel for the players, uh, you know, and, it, you know, I talked about the pitchers, but even the batters, you know, sometimes they get behind an account. And they need to step back and, like, re, you know, readjust right. a couple of times and think about, you know, how they're approaching that bat. So um, it'll only – get better as time goes on and people get used to it but you know they definitely we definitely saw the players take a little bit of adversity towards the pitch clock and for sure you know hopefully they get better with it because i think as they get better with it the product will continue to get better and yeah. you know how I feel. I've talked to you off the mic about the playoff format. I think teams got to find a way to stay competitive. Uh, it's a, it's easy to complain, but at the end of the day, every single season is a long season, and you don't want to throw away potential just because of a week. Right. And it's the hand that you're dealt. It's like having, you know – umpires that don't call pitches in your favor you got to find a way to win baseball games that's the that's the job at the end of the day and yeah maybe it does need to be changed uh from the perspective of you know teams like yours like the dodgers who you know come out and play well and during the season and then you know kind of stink it up once they get into the playoffs but from a standpoint of an athlete is like you can't really make excuses it's the hand that you're dealt you got to go win and i think some of the things that teams can do to be better in those situations is playing simulated games uh playing their triple yeah. a playing their triple a team if they can uh for that week every single day you know what i mean or whatever uh to make sure that the guys are still getting their rotations and treating it serious. Maybe you invite fans. Maybe it becomes a thing, you know, that people want to pay for. And obviously they wouldn't get, you know, packed stadium for it probably, but it's, you know, definitely something that can help. And I know the first thing people are going to say is, you know, if a guy gets hurt or something like that, uh, that's going to really impact the team. But at the same time, a guy can get hurt from, you know, being cold and then having to get right back into 100%, you know, going 50 for a yeah. week and then having to go back to 100, you know, uh, people can get yeah. hurt and p- 
people are going to get hurt in any situation. So yeah. you just got to, you know, and obviously we look at the, the Rangers, they lose probably their best, you know, hitter, or at least <laughs> their most explosive hitter. And they didn't look like they missed the beat. So, yeah, um, good teams are going to find a way to win through adversity no matter what. So I won't necessarily say that uh, the Rangers weren't, you know, a good team. They definitely were a very good team. Congratulations to them. Congratulations to the D-back. But, uh, yeah, teams have to find a way to win no matter what, what the cards are dealt. Yeah, I mean, at the same time, though, like, as I kind of said earlier, you know, it is in a sport in sport, you you want to win winning feels good. So if you, you know, if you're losing, you know, if you win your division, you're one of the best teams in baseball, you end up, you know, getting a week off. And, you know, as you know, what, like when you're hot, you you want to stay hot. You don't want to go cold. And so kind of being, you know, out of that, that pure competitive environment can be, can be tough. Um, and yeah, you know, teams should, you know, might be able to play their AAA squads. I think the minor league season is over by then. But yeah, but at the same time, like if you're not facing major league pitching, you're not facing, you know, you're not facing the alpha dogs that you're used to facing, um, you know, a week's a long time. It just is. Yeah. So, um, and for, you know, for guys who are, who are, who are cold and who are fighting it, like it might be super helpful. But for guys who are like, who are hot and who want to stay hot. It's, you know, it's tough. And for pitchers, you're right. Um, you know, pitchers are a different beast. They just are very routine based, very mental. Um, and so a week off, you know, could, if you, if you already had, you know, if, if you're about to be the starter the next day and now you have a week off, you've now gone, let's see, 12 days without throwing a competitive pitch. Like that's a long time. That's almost, that's two and a half starts already. So, I don't know. There's, there's gotta be some better way to, to do this. Um, maybe we just don't let, you know, as many teams in the playoffs. That's my personal vote. Um, not everyone needs a trophy. Not everyone needs to make the playoffs, but yeah, I mean, shout out to the Rangers and shout out to the D backs. The D backs were a super scrappy team that just didn't stop playing baseball and the Rangers, you know, that, you know, not only did they lose Adolis Garcia for, you know, a game and a half, but they lost, you know, a guy that they're paying, you know, boatloads of money for in Scherzer. Um, mm-hmm. who's supposed to be their, you know, their leader. Uh, but again, like those, you know, those teams, I wouldn't say those teams are necessarily the best teams. You know, they got hot at the right time. Um, I saw a stat that was like the Rangers during the regular season had a, were a sub 500 uh, team on the road and the playoffs, they were undefeated. So, you know, they were, you know, they stepped up to the challenge, they stepped up to the adversity and they, they you know, they beat the Diamondbacks. Good for yeah. them. Happy for them. But yeah, I mean, if you're if you're if you're hot, you don't want to lose a week. Yeah, definitely. And we could talk about this for forever. So I'm gonna move on to the next True. question. And I'm gonna ask you, do you have a favorite MLB player walk ups or walk on song ever? Oh man. Uh Mariano Rivera's at Just Sandman will forever stick with me. It just will. That guy was epic. He wasn't like an he wasn't an imposing figure at all. Um, you know, he's not gonna you see Mo, he's not, you know, seven feet tall or like, you know, huge jacked guy. Just like this under you know, this well spoken under not underbuilt, but like, you know, he's not imposing. He's not buff. 
guy who just gets you out with one pitch and comes into one of like the most iconic like hard rock songs of all time. Uh, it was awesome. I love that. Uh, even now, you see like Edwin Diaz come. Well, not this year, but last year came in to Timmy Trumpet, and that was sick. Like closer walkouts have always been fun to me. Eric Gagne, uh, you know, as a kid growing up watching the Dodgers was iconic. Can't remember the name. Of, can't remember the song he had. But I remember, you know, the whole stadium would flash game over with his face on it. It was like, oh, yeah, this game is this game is cooked. Like we're chilling, you know. This this man this man is gonna is gonna end it for us. Uh, but now, I mean, look, you know, like my boy Clayton Kershaw, uh, and his uh, his "We Are Young" by I can't even remember who does the song. I think it's mm-hmm. Fun. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a song I've you know, yeah, Fun. I it's a song that like. I literally don't listen to unless Kershaw is pitching him at the game. <laughs> so, like it was super popular and then it was just vanished. And I think he's the only one that still listens to it, but like, it's just, it's fun that he still does that. And I love it. Yeah. I think closers definitely have the advantage. Clo- closer walkout on songs are definitely always staples. Uh, my personal favorite, just from the domination that he had while he was a Dodger, uh, being in LA during those times, watching those games, is definitely Kenley California Love. Oh, and, true. You know, at the end of his career, at at the end of his stint with the Dodgers, uh, I can't say that that song was always my favorite, but definitely when he was, you know, making the All Star appearances and uh doing that he was just great and that was song was just so iconic to hear yeah. coming out of the bullpen um and that's not to say that you know i hated kenley towards the end of his stint i just think it was time for a change of scenery which yeah i could definitely help players and um, I just think that he just needed a new place to be, and he was definitely very effective for the Braves and for the Red Sox after his uh, the end of his stint with the Dodgers. So speaking yeah, for sure. of those World Series teams, since 2016, the viewership during the World Series has steadily declined. What do you think the MLB should do to combat that decline and help the sport continue to grow? Huh. So, I was I was actually looking uh, at you know the who, the you know the World Series matchups um, over you know since twenty sixteen. Obviously, twenty sixteen the Cubs, Cubs and Indians played absolute classic of a World Series. Um, I actually remember when the Cubs won, like as soon as the game ended, I walked outside to go to the library and study while I was in college. My friend Gil comes screaming, big Cubs fans, comes screaming just in his boxers running across campus with his with his W flag. Um, and so like that was honestly like probably the most iconic World Series that I can remember since uh, of the years that you mentioned. Um. Because since then you had the team from Houston cheated their way to a World Series in 2017. We're not going to get into that. I know. <laughs> uh, 2018, the, you know the, the Red Sox absolutely just dominated the Dodgers. We there was look, it was there's no question they were the better team, no question. But since then you've had, you know, the Nationals. Sure, it went seven games, but like 
that you know that team wasn't very memorable. Yeah, they might have had Bryce Harper. Yeah, you know they were a, a you know a decent sized market team, but you know they they weren't they weren't really like a they weren't a team that you know your average person would know anything about. So, but other than that, like you know the biggest market to win a World Series outside of twenty twenty, uh, when the boys in blue took it home in a shortened season, were you know were the Braves, uh, in twenty twenty one. I think the issue is, and I, I I don't have a fix for it right now, but I think the issue is that you have these, uh, you get to the World Series and you have these, uh, I don't want to say David versus Goliath because that's not true, but you have, you clearly have one better team, and so it doesn't create the drama of, you know, what used to be what used to be World Series. I mean, shoot, there were sweeps that were more that were more watched than than the World Series um, of. What's it called? Like of of you know of recent times, but you know what I, what I think the issue. I mean, look, the issue is really this: is that the big market teams aren't making it, plain and simple. Um, and so when you lose the big markets, you lose a lot of fans. That's just what it is. And there's nothing baseball can do to fix that, other than to somehow rig it so the best the you know the big markets always win, and no one wants that. You know, when the Yankees are in the World Series, more people will watch just naturally. Um, when the Red Sox in the World Series, more people will watch naturally. It's, you know, it's it's just that. But at the end of the day, it's, I think people will care more as they care more about the people involved. So right now, like Shohei Otani is a free agent. Wherever Shohei goes, people are going to watch. The Angels somehow had the two, two of the best players in baseball and still couldn't make a World Series. Shoot, they couldn't even make a playoff. So, you know, as soon, but you know, wherever Shohei goes, if they make the playoffs, you can guarantee that there'll be a lot of fans watching that World Series or the playoffs because people care more about Shohei than they care about baseball. And as we get superstars that people care more about, people, you know, adore outside of just baseball fans, I think it'll drive more viewership. And I think part of that is MLB needing to kind of do take the NBA approach and make their superstars more personable, make their superstars more accessible, and make them you know, really market them as just genuine people. Cause that's the beauty of baseball is that it really, you know, you don't need to be six, three, you don't need to, you know, be super jacked in order to succeed. You have guys like Daniel Vogelbach, who's like six, two with like two seventy, just a big dude with 15 chins. who can mash the ball. Or you have a guy, you know, like D Gordon, who's, you know, maybe a one, one fifty soaking wet, who's a speedster and he's, you know, he can still hit. So, you know, baseball can market their superstars to be more personable I think they they could solve their viewership problem. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think most teams have a lot of guys that are just funny, great, cool human beings to be around. And we definitely don't get the opportunity to know or see these guys in normal settings. I watched that podcasts with Mookie and Corbin Carroll earlier this year and I learned so much about Corbin and like secretly was kind of rooting for him to do well this World Series because he just became like a a cool guy to me I saw him and I saw him as a normal person versus just like oh he's just another baseball player and I definitely think that the MLB should do a better job but I also think 
a lot of times these players don't necessarily want the limelight as well. And they could do better jobs themselves of marketing themselves. But at the same time, why would they? They're getting paid regardless. So, I mean, I think there would definitely be more money to be made. Not that it's always about money, but that definitely moves a lot of people. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it does. And not everywhere not everywhere gets not everybody gets a chance to play in Boston in New York in LA right. so just like in basketball or football or anything the t- the guys that don't play in those bigger market cities um we just don't hear about as much right and that's going to still stay true to baseball but i think like you said getting a chance to know these guys. I mean, I can't tell you the amount of videos I've seen of Wimbenyama <laughs> before yeah, so he many. played before he even played an NBA game. And, you know, there's a lot of great rookies in the MLB who have, you know, not nearly got a chance to shine. I even remember watching a video of NHL players talking about like who was the rookie? Who was the first pick in like the MLB draft? And none of them know. But then they're like, right. "Oh, who's the first pick in the NBA draft?" And they're both like, "Oh, yeah, Wembenyama, Wembenyama, the French kid." Da, right. da, da, da. Yeah. Like everybody knows yeah. that, but nobody knows who went first in the MLB draft. And I mean, Shoot, a part I don't of even that know. I could say he went first. <laughs> and the part of that is that we're never, I think it was Dylan Cruz, but I'm not sure. But a part of that, you, I think it was. Yeah. A part of that is that we won't even see these guys in the major league, even if they're the best right. until two or three years from now. Yeah. So, um, yeah, definitely. But I got a, another question for you. I want to know. World Series just ended once again. Shout out to the oh, Texas wow. Rangers for breaking their, I think, sixty-four year or sixty-three year uh, streak of winning. They haven't won in sixty-four years, or drought, I should say, not streak, but drought of you know World Series championship. Who's your twenty twenty-four? Way too early. <laughs> 2024 oh, World Series champ. And I'm not going to hold you to it. There's a lot that needs to happen. Free agency hasn't even started yet. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of moving parts, but who do you got right now today? Oof. So there's two answers to this question. The heart obviously says the Dodgers. Um, that's my team. That's always been my team. So I'll, I'll stick with them. We have a lot of holes to fill, but yeah, I think we could do it. Um, the head says the Braves, um, they're, they're such a good young team. They have all their guys locked up for many, many, many years, um, on very team friendly deals. And, you know, they're a really, really good team. But again, the key is that they can't, like they, they need to lose the, they need to lose the NL East to, to Philly. They need Philly to win the NL East so the Braves can keep playing baseball. Um, that's, that's the key. Um, but yeah, you know the head. The head definitely says the Braves right now. They're they're such a good young team. Uh, Matt Olson's been great for them. Uh, you know, Ozzy Albies is what it is. But Acuna is a legend. Um, 
and you know they've got a lot of good young pitchers they're, they're really 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 talented so it, my way 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 too early world series pick it's got to be the Atlanta Braves as much as it pains me to, to say that I'm gonna go out of left field uh-oh I'm gonna say it's gonna be the Phillies and the I reason that out of left field my guy yeah it's not that's like but, second base yeah it's not but I feel like everyone talks about Houston. Everyone talks about the Dodgers. Everyone talks about Braves. (laughs) We know there's going to be the Yankees people that come back and say, you know, we weren't healthy and da 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 and whatever. Stop it. They're going to figure it out. But I'm going to go with the Phillies. I think their team had a lot of energy and really very, very close to being in the World Series this year. Um, yeah, and I and really I think that that opportunity missing out on that opportunity really hurt a lot of the guys on that team, and I think yep. they're going to come into next year's playoffs with a different focus and a different mindset, and really just all in. Not that they weren't this year, but sometimes just getting close and missing out is all you need to really have guys locked in from game one to game, you know, 180 or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So that's a team that I'm going to personally go with. There's a last question I got to ask you before I get to this red light jam. Uh And you're, I said it before, we're going to talk a little bit about college football. You're a huge college football fan. And I know, and I probably know the team that you're going to say, and it's a little biased, but it's also kind of true. So who do you have winning the national championship in college football this year? And I need a hot take and I need your favorite. So uh, the rankings just came out on Tuesday. So I can say that my, my dark horse and my favorite are the same team, and that's the Georgia Bulldogs. Boo. <laughs> it's, just, it's just, you know, it. well, okay, I'll say this. Is this team as good as last year's? No. Carson Beck, outside of being one of the ugliest people I've ever seen in alive, uh, is not Stetson Bennett. He's, uh, he's, he's just different. But uh, Brock Bowers is easily the best player in college football, no question. Marvin Harrison Jr. is great. Uh, he's probably number two. Uh, but Brock Bowers is just a different beast. Um, Marvin Harrison Jr. can't block like Brock can. So it's, you know, that team, you know, while it might be boring for most, not myself included, um, my pick right now is the Georgia Bulldogs. Now, they have a very hard next four weeks, and that team has not looked very good up until last week. So we'll see. But, you know, as the committee has it ranked right now, Ohio State, great team, questionable on defense and questionable on offense sometimes at one, us at two, Georgia, three, Michigan, who hasn't played anybody, uh, and who honestly, who knows what the punishment for this, for the sign-stealing investigation could be. Um, You know, they might be forced to miss the playoff. And four, Florida State. Florida State is really good. They have two receivers who are just mountains of men. I mean, Johnny Wilson's like 7,000 feet tall. And the guy, you just throw it up to him, he's going to catch it, hopefully. But he doesn't have that sure of hands. And he's not really good out of his breaks, so we'll see. Um, 
and that team doesn't honestly inspire me. They're a really good team, but I can't see them like winning huge games. Last time I watched Florida State in a playoff was Jameis throwing the ball backwards. So we'll see how that goes. Um, Washington and Oregon, look, like I just watched Oregon. I mean, I just watched Oregon last weekend at, like in, here in Utah. Um, that team is good. It's very good. Bo Nix is Bo Nix is legit. Um, but you know, they have they have some, you know, there's some big question marks about Oregon. You know, can they can they hang with a with a ground and pound team like a Georgia? Uh, or even in Ohio State, uh, can their secondary hold up? You know, Washington, Michael Penix Jr. is really good. Remo Dunze is great as a wide receiver. But, again, can they hold up on defense against a team that's going to absolutely pound the living daylight out of them? So, my favorite's Georgia. The dark horse winner or, you know, the hot take? Ooh. I'm going to have to go with Oregon, you know? The last, uh, the last year of the Pac-12 have a Pac- have a, a Pac-12 national champion, kind of a middle finger to everybody. It'd be awesome. I think I am definitely gonna go against the grain here. Ohio State, tab, please. Ohio State and Michigan. We all know one of them is gonna beat each other in that final yep. game of the season and mm-hmm. they're going to knock the other one out. So I'm not even going to touch one of those. Georgia, they're probably America's favorite, you know, to win. Absolutely offense, not. All, <laughs> offense has been shaky, but they have the experience of being there a lot more times than anybody else that's in this top five on this list. I'm going to go with Florida State. I think that Florida State has a team that is extremely talented, a team that is going to go into the game healthy. I think they have exactly what you need to win the national championship with an electric Heisman candidate quarterback. And I think that they're going to continue to be as dominant as they are in making people turn over the football. And I don't see why they wouldn't be looked at as one of the best teams in the country and why they wouldn't have a chance to win it all. Now, for my hot take, this is extremely hot take because I hate Pac-12 teams as Ah. as, as far as the CFP goes, as far as college football playoff goes. I do not like Pac-12 teams because... Pack 12 teams typically knock each other out. Any of those yep. teams can beat any of those teams on any given week, and we've seen it before. Yep. And now after week nine, I believe, or week 10, whichever one we're in, and Washington is 8-0. Yep. I believe that Washington, opposed to Oregon, is the team Ooh. that could get it done. Now, they, they could. Just like I said with Florida State, they got what you need to win a, win the national championship, which is a Heisman candidate level quarterback. Penix has been playing extremely well. And Crazy. I think that it's going noticed, but it's not talked about loud enough because, you know, if Caleb Williams was performing how this guy is performing, the world would be 
by go on by storm. So I want to shout out Florida State and I want to shout out Washington for being my two teams that I think can get it done. I also like your teams as well. College football is a crazy place. Anything can happen. If you would have told me that TCU is going to play a national championship game, even wow. after week nine, I would have said you're crazy. So true. Uh, and shout out to them. And also, don't sleep on Penn State. Penn don't State sleep on Penn State. It's a great team as well. We know that they probably they always fall a little bit short to Michigan and Ohio State, but. They do have a great team, and I think they're extremely talented as well. And I don't believe that there's a non-zero chance that they could win a national championship. So don't sleep on them. I agree. They got to right, play man. Michigan. Michigan's got to play Ohio State. So it's it's possible that if all these teams beat each other, that it's going to make a very, very interesting uh, Big Ten championship. For sure. No question. All right, man. So it's time. For the very, very, very important question of the day, the red light jam. So once again, for those that don't know, back in the end of high school, I started driving around. And when I got to red lights, I would, you know, record on my Instagram story and show people the music that I was listening to. And uh, a lot of my friends ended up joining in and, you know, I retired them, you know, as we upgraded to CarPlay, no more <laughs> recording yeah, the song RP. straight from the phone. So uh, now I'm getting the opportunity to bring it to the public and bring out some music that people may or may not know. It doesn't really matter, but, you know, just something that feels good to you at the time for whatever reason. So, Spencer, can you please share with me? your red light jam or RLJ for the week. Dude, well, you asked me to pick a song that starts with a B. And I went to my iTunes library. Yeah, I still have my iTunes library. Um, and I was looking at all these songs. And geez Louise, man. Like, there are so many good ones. Um, I could shout out, I mean, everything from Bad Boys for Life. Um to blessings by drake to i mean oh dude like there there's so many uh best i ever had also by drake just a absolute banger uh big spender by asap you and i used to bump that song on the bus all the time mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. it is uh it was not easy um but oh geez if I had to pick one song from the you know the Red Light Jams world that starts with a B, I might have to go with Chance the Rapper's Blessings. But okay, but ah, see, it's between that and Gangstar's uh, Business or Art. It's one of those two. It's either Blessings or Business or Art by Gangstar. Okay, so tell me, all right, I got, I got, I gotta have you choose one. Just one. Oh, what? You choose. I think you're going to go with Blessings because that's the one you lean towards first. Why did you choose that song, man? Oh, man. Uh, why did I choose Blessings? 
Look, Coloring Book was an absolutely electric mixtape slash album, whatever we're gonna call it. You know, that was I wouldn't say that that wasn't my intro to Chance the Rapper, but that was definitely, you know, a very, very, you know, uh good good you know, that that mixtape came out came about at a good time in my life and you know, you and I used to drive listening to that to coloring book all the time. All the time. And especially that song. Um but yeah, and it's just it's it's an absolutely iconic song with, with, that he's singing on. But I might, you know, you might be wrong here. I actually, ha- I might have to go with business or art. I love Gangstar, always have. Uh, that song, actually, I've been listening to that song a lot recently, uh, as I've been kind of working my way through through what I'm doing, trying to figure out, you know, um, how to separate, you know, just what you enjoy doing with, you know, the fact that it is a business at times. Um, so, you know, and there, you know. Old school hip hop is my jam. It always have been. it always has been. So it might be a bit of a, a not a not as well known of a song, but it kind of I love the message of, you know, yeah, again, business or art. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm allowed to, you know, because you're my boy. I'm gonna allow you to give me both. Um, I appreciate it. And it's funny that you did that because I actually have to prepare for myself this week. Oh. And uh you know, the first one I want to shout out to you actually because this Uh-oh. song, uh, it doesn't necessarily remind me of you because that would be a little, <laughs> but That'd be a bit weird. It reminds me of how our friendship began. See, not began, but really solidified. Uh, I like to tell people this story about me and Spencer. Um, when you're in high school friendships that you have in high school can be challenged obviously when spencer moves all the way across the country to new york to go to school uh in college and you know i stayed in california at the time and some things really solidify friendships to make sure that they last longer than you know just high school and spencer and i had a class project uh that oh, year yeah. that really solidified our friendship where we were uh essentially challenged to go to a lot of different movie locations spread out throughout yep i wouldn't even just say los angeles but uh southern california really and uh we had to visit about 20 different movie locations and spencer mapped it out so we spent a lot of long Saturdays or Sundays in the car together, yeah. uh, six to eight hours some at sometimes together uh, in the car, yeah, was- just eating and listening to music and hanging out as we we're on our way to these movie locations. And uh, one of the songs that I used to listen to a lot during senior year uh, that came out at the beginning of the senior year and really rolled out through those times that we had together was the body by Wale and Jeremiah. Oh, oh forgot and, about that uh, one. Dang. That's just a, you know, a song that I definitely wanted to shout out more of an honorable mention, but it was definitely a song that I had on repeat a lot senior year. Um, but the song that I want to choose for my, rlj this week and i think i know what you're gonna do i don't think you do but 
I'm going to choose B4L by Black off of his most recent album. It's a very good song. Yep. Uh, yep. I chose this song because there's a lot of fall vibes and, you know, some would like to say that fall time is a cuffing season. <laughs> um, I don't know if Spencer and I are joining that, but at the same nope. time, um, a lot of people like to call the fall cuffing season. You know, the weather gets a little bit cold, as Nigel and I talked to talked about. <laughs> you want to yeah. cuddle up with your girl, but really, you know, right. this song's not even necessarily about that for me. It's just good R and B good vibes yeah it's fall time vibes um it's really just about two people who have in this song it's a romantic relationship but it's really about two people who are friends who grow into something more and have a mutually beneficial relationship out of it and really i think that's how all friendships are um, and can't have the potential to be. And necessarily it might start out as like a friendship, but then it really grows into a brotherhood and like the sense of like you and you and I, or like you and me and Nigel um, where like, yeah, we started out as friends, but now like, yeah, I feel like you're a part of my family. I hope that you feel the same with me. And oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, that song is just a song that invokes those feelings of of growth and uh, i really enjoy it and i really hope some of you guys listen to it and as always there's a spotify playlist with all of the tay talks rlj's and spencer's two songs this week and uh my two songs this week will be on there but uh before we wrap up, Spencer, I just want to ask, is there anything that you want to shout out that you have going on that, or that your friends have going on? Uh, well, you know, I was, I, I did not think you were going to go with B for L. Love that song. Uh, also, underrated track on that album is uh, the last one, NRL. Or sorry, NRH, Night Ride Home. One of my favorite songs on that album by far. Um, shout out. No, I mean, nothing really. Uh, you know, I'm really, really super thankful to, to have been on this, you know, really glad to see, you know, you launching this podcast. I know you, you've been talking about it for a while. I'm, I'm stoked not only that, you, that you're doing it, but also that uh, that I get to be on it. Um, and yeah, man, like this is this is so cool. So congrats on getting this up and running. Congrats on, you know, actually having these conversations, uh, you know, on the listener side. Can't wait to hear who else you bring on here. Um, but yeah, man. So honestly, my biggest shout out, shout out to you, my guy. Huge shout out. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. And I really appreciate you coming on this week. Uh, very special guest to have on. You had great insight. And, you know, I definitely can't wait for everybody to hear what you have to say. Uh, just a long-term friend. Uh, yeah. And I'm so Brother. glad that I got the opportunity to be have you on it this weekend um yeah bro i just wish you all the best as you continue to uh on your journey in in this filmmaking industry and you're gonna continue to be great and do great things and i just can't wait to continue to see you grow so thank you so much hey no worries we're we're you know we're growing together we're we're both gonna we're both gonna get to where we were where we're supposed to go together you know i'm 
more than happy to call you a brother. Um, and, uh, you know, you're a great dude. So glad you're doing this. And, uh, yeah, I can't wait to see where, you know, what your, what your moves are. Can't wait to see you back in LA. And, uh, yeah, man, shout out you kicking, kicking butt and, uh, and yeah, doing great things. Yeah. And shout out to you as well. So thanks everybody for listening. This is episode two of the Tate Talks podcast. We out.